Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. We don't need no stinking sensor. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, thank you so much, Raven, for that beautiful introduction. Hello there, my friends, and good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your host, Amanda. So today is the 16th of February, which means we are over halfway through the month of February. And, you know, okay, I know I didn't mention this earlier, but, you know, that whole ground rat, I mean, you know, groundhog said we're going to get an early spring, but I'm kind of cold, so I'm waiting. So let's take a look at the headlines we are going to be discussing today. So Dolly Parton is weighing in on some drama at the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, we have more stories from the Super Bowl, but I swear we're almost done with this. But there was a tragedy at the Chiefs parade we're going to talk about. There's a strike at Ubisoft, a biographical movie being made about Michael Jackson, but we got some odd news to cover and more. Get comfy, my friends, and let's get started. All right, let's start things off with the music news. I'm going to give you a little bit of history to go along with our first story. So the Grand Ole Opry is a weekly live country music radio broadcast that comes from the Opry House in Nashville, Tennessee. This was founded back on November the 28th of 1925. We're talking almost 100 years now. This is the longest running radio broadcast in U.S. history. Also, a quick note, the iconic country music hall operates on a strict no profanity rule that's about to come into play. Back on January the 19th, a Dolly-themed night was held at the Opry in honor of Dolly Parton's 78th birthday. She looked really good for 78. But apparently there was an incident on stage. So Elle King was invited to take part of the festivities. She got on stage and kind of made a fool of herself. She messed up the lyrics to Dolly's 2001 hit Marry Me on stage at the Opry. Sky blue eyes, a big white smile, tall as a sycamore tree. He's real smart with a real big heart. He's gonna marry me. He's gonna marry me and we're gonna go to town. We're gonna buy us a real good car and we're gonna drive around. We'll hold hands, touch and hug. He talks so sweet to me. Cause he knows a lot about love and stuff and he's gonna so that's the song. And honestly, look, messing up the lyrics, it's something we singers do. You know, we're, we're not perfect all the time. We have issues. I mean, before they 
made an edit to it. Alicia Keys messed up the first song that she did while she was at the Super Bowl. So, you know, no huge big deal. It's what you do after that makes it worse. So she apparently later confessed that she was, and I'm going to have to edit this a little bit, she was effing hammered. She stumbled her way through some of the lines. The 34-year-old proceeded to sing, actually sing this. I don't know the lyrics to this thing in this effing town. Don't tell Dolly because it's her birthday. Now, Elle later joked around, I'm not even going to effing lie. You bought tickets for this crap. You ain't getting your money back. All right. Well, not exactly pleasant. And in the aftermath of this blunder, the Opry like I said, no profanity rule, right? Issued a huge apology on Twitter X, expressing deep regret for the language that was used during the America's Sweetheart performance on January the 19th. Now, Elle has yet to publicly comment on the incident, but did postpone a series of shows six days later. And she's previously spoken about a very complicated relationship with alcohol. She did an interview with the San Diego Union Tribune Tribune, excuse me, back in February of 2022. And she said, I get nervous before I go on stage. I have a couple of drinks first because drinking makes me less nervous about hitting the notes when I sing. If I don't make them, it won't sting as much. That's not exactly a healthy relationship. Well, now Dolly Parton's come out and she's broken her silence on the X's and O's singer's drunken performance. She said, she talked to Extra TV in an interview, and this was published back on February the 9th, and she said this, Elle is really a great artist. She's a great girl. She's been going through a lot of things lately, and she just had a little too much to drink. She encouraged others to lead with kindness and added, so let's just forgive that and forget that and move on because she felt worse than anyone ever could. Y'all... Dolly Parton. <laughs> I mean, so apparently she just is just so she's so sweet. She's so gracious, gracious. Uh, she's just a lovely lady. She's a class act. I have never heard a bad word spoken about Dolly Parton, and I hope I never will, honestly. Well, we talked also last episode, switching gears here, about Michael Jackson and his estate, selling off half of Michael Jackson's catalog. Well, now legendary rock singer Rod Stewart has sold his entire song catalog. The sale was made to Irving Azoff's iconic artist for nearly $100 million in a deal that's comprising interest in his publishing catalog and recorded music as well as some name and likeness rights. And this is all according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, Stewart commented on the sale to the publication and said Irving and I are a couple of old-timers, and I believe we have a mutual respect and admiration for each other. My life's work is in safe hands with him. Now, this deal comes as iconic uh, artist has announced it's raised more than a billion dollars in new capital for future catalog investments, primarily from the investment firm of HPS Investment Partners. The Jackson sale was huge, but we are also hearing, again, there's been rumors about this one, about a nearly $1 billion deal. I'm saying billion with a B. $1 billion deal for the rights to the Queen catalog. This market of catalogs used to be pretty white hot, but it's cooled down in recent years because of interest rates and prices and the number of top catalogs has narrowed as they're getting bought out. Now, while 
the number on the deal is significantly less than those of Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen and even Genesis. Um, they reaped, I think it was $700 million for Dylan's, $300 million for a multitude of rights, I guess it was. Stewart, he's 79. Look, he's written fewer hits than these artists. He was just primarily a singer and a performer, not so much of a songwriter. But he has a six-decade catalog that has 10 number one hits. And his work with the Jeff Beck group and Faces, his catalog includes hits like, we're talking Maggie May and Stay With Me, You Wear It Well, You're In My Heart, Do You Think I'm Sexy, etc. Wake up, Maggie, And apparently this isn't the first deal that Stewart tried to broker. He nearly sold his catalog to the now-troubled Hypnosis Songs Company, but they it took two years of trying to make a deal. They didn't close it, so he pulled out, which I, I understand. And he said, look, the catalog represents my life's work, and it became abundantly clear after much time and due diligence that this was not the right company to manage my song catalog, my career, and my legacy. Now, Stewart's deal with Iconic follows the company's acquisition of the catalogs of, like, the Beach Boys, Cher, Dean Martin, David Crosby, Stephen Stills, uh, Nat King Cole, Linda Ronstadt, and Joe Crocker. Now, later this month, he's going to be releasing his 32nd studio album, 32 albums, holy cow, and which is a big band salute called Swing Fever. All right, let's move on now to some sports news. So we're not quite done with the Super Bowl coverage, but there was one story that I completely forgot to cover last show, and I even prefaced it and everything, and I just completely botched it. So shame on me. Shame. 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 But first, CBS announced that Sunday's Super Bowl was the most watched telecast in history. Now, I mentioned last show, they had an average of 123.4 million viewers that tuned in to see the Kansas City Chief vanquish the San Francisco 49ers across all platforms. Now, that's up almost 10 million viewers from last year's Super Bowl, which had broken a previous record, and then they had 115.1 million viewers. But if that wasn't enough, 202.4 million viewers watched some or all of the Super Bowl across networks. And this is according to the data received from Nielsen. The game was available on CBS television network, Paramount Plus, Nickelodeon, Univision, CBS Sports Plus, uh, Univision, and NFL digital properties like NFL Plus. But here's the kicker. 120 million viewers tuned into the game on CBS alone, which represents the largest audience Ever for a single network. The game was also the most streamed Super Bowl in history. I mean, come on, let's talk about this. We had Reba, we had Usher, we had Beyonce, we had Taylor and Jason and Travis and Patrick all on the field at some point, and we even had a small interruption in the second half. 
So the story I missed, two individuals rushed the field during the third quarter of Super Bowl 58 and nearly interrupted a third down play for the Kansas City Chiefs offense. One of the disruptors made it all the way to the 49ers sideline where he was subdued while his partner in crime, literally all this was trespassing, was tackled by a team of security staffers near the 10-yard line by the Chiefs' end zone. Both of them were shirtless. They must have been a little inspired by the Usher halftime show. Thank goodness it was just the shirts missing. Referee Bill Vinovic stated that because the streakers didn't impact the play, which was a two-yard completion from Patrick Mahomes to McCole Hardman, that was short of the sticks a little. There was no need to redo the play. Kicker Harrison Butker nailed a 57-yard field goal on the ensuing snap to cut the Niners' lead to 10-6, with 5:01 remaining in the third quarter. So the Las Vegas Police Department arrested the two guys, and officials said the fans were each arrested on a charge of prohibited contact at an athletic event, which is a misdemeanor. Both men had remained jailed as of Monday morning, and a Clark County Detention Center spokesperson said that they were released on their own recognizance, meaning they promised to appear in court at a later date to face their respective charges. The jail spokesperson said the fans were set to appear before a judge on April the 17th for a hearing on the case. Now, for the worst part of today's show, I can't not cover this one no matter how much I don't like it, but it's related. So, Kansas City held their celebratory parade on Wednesday. Yes, Valentine's Day. And it started as one imagined. I mean, we had massive party. We had the party buses going. There's Mahomes, there's Kelsey, both seen on the party buses celebrating. Uh, Taylor wasn't there. She had to go to Australia. And there's this one point you get to where you've got Travis and Jason's mom, um, we call her Mama Kelsey. She takes a bottle, like Jason goes, I'm sorry, it's not Jason, it was Travis. (laughs) Jason's been drinking a lot, so I went to Jason's face. Uh, But it was Travis. Travis is standing on the party bus, he's up top. And he, like, tilts a bottle like he's taking a drink, but something doesn't quite go right. So here comes Mama Kelsey. She takes this tan bottle away from Travis. And he, I'm like, y'all, he is blitzed at this point. So we're all thinking, all right, she's st- stepping in. She's going to stop this. Nope. No, no, she just helped him open the bottle because apparently he tried to drink it while it was closed. One million people likely attended the Chiefs Super Bowl parade, which occurred in a city with a population of about 470,000 people and a metropolitan area of about 2 million. Now, the rally part of the parade had just ended, music still blaring, and then shots ring out. Yeah, shots. Not like the ones the players were drinking. We're talking gunshots. 22 people were injured in the shooting, ranging between the ages of 8 and 47, half of whom were under the age of 16. One mother of two was killed. She's been identified as Lisa Lopez Galvin, host of the Taste of Tejano, which uh, she's a DJ at a radio station. She went by the name Lisa G and worked at the radio station KKFI-FM. 
three people were detained, including two juveniles, but no charges were yet filed because police are still calling for witnesses, cell phone footage, and the victims of the violence are calling a dedicated hotline. This investigation is huge, and there's video everywhere. Police did say it all appeared to stem from a dispute between several people. Now, social media users have been posting the shocking video, police running through the crowd, one video showing somebody apparently performing chest compressions on a victim, another person like writhing in pain laying on the ground nearby, people screaming in the background, one video showing two people chasing and tackling a person, holding them down until two police officers arrive. In an interview on Thursday, the 15th, the day after, on ABC's Good Morning America, Trey Filter of Wichita, Kansas, said he saw someone being chased. He took action. He ran after him, and he was one of the two that helped the tackling. I'm not playing the audio from this video, y'all, or any of the videos. I will link the videos in the episode description. It's just I'm, I don't want to play it. It could be disturbing to people with the screaming and the shots and everything because it was caught on multiple cameras. I mean, you had TV footage. You had people with their cell phones. I mean, just there was so much coverage. I'm not playing it. Now, the good news. All of the 11 children that were injured are expected to recover. There are still three as of today that are uh, three victims, adults, that are in critical condition. The others have been treated and they have been released. We are still following the story. It is still developing. And as we hear more, we will update you. All right, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to shake this one off. But let's go ahead and download the gaming news. Ubisoft is having itself one heck of a a year, and we're just getting started. Final negotiations hit a wall, and labor unions in France are calling for a work, calling for a one-day strike by Ubisoft employees over what they say is low-ball wage increase offers aimed at offsetting management failures. So the video game workers union said in a message posted on February the 1st that mandatory annual negotiations, Ubisoft management, that during these these negotiations, the management of Ubisoft offered raises that were lower than the rate of inflation. And this is the second year in a row that they've done this, despite the company reporting excellent second quarter results well above our expectations in the recent first half financial report of 2023-24. The lower than expected wage offer was made in order to hit an arbitrary cost reduction target. Now, the Solidaire's Informatique Union said in a separate statement that the unions were demanding a general wage increase of 5%. Management was offering 2 to 3%, depending on the studio, and there's three of them. The union claimed the offer was made under the pretext of senseless cost-cutting policy and was also intended to encourage natural attrition among employees. They're trying to avoid layoffs like everybody else, is what they're basically saying. So the initial call for a strike was made on February the 1st, which left time for a work stoppage to be avoided via last-minute negotiations. But the Informatique representative told PC Gamer that final pre-strike negotiations had already taken place. Nothing had happened, so the strike was on for February the 14th. Well, 
did they actually do it? They did. Three Ubisoft studios joined in on Valentine's Day to do just that. Workers were invited to join the picket line in Ubisoft's Annecy and Montpellier studios from 9 a.m. and then the Parisian studio at 2 p.m. Now, whether the strike was effective or not is going to remain to be seen. We're talking a one-day strike. I'm not an expert on negotiations or contracts. So maybe y'all can cheat, you know, chip in on this. Can a one-day strike make enough of a difference for Ubisoft to change their terms and their offers? Don't know. We're now waiting, and we're waiting to see what happens. But in the meantime, as far as I can tell, the workers are back to work. Okay, well, now we're going to go ahead and shine some spotlight on the entertainment news. I was not aware of this one until recently, but check this out. Apparently, there is a biopic coming out on April the 18th of 2025 called Michael. I will give you a guess as to which Michael it's about. You ready? Okay. New images from the film have been released and showed Michael Jackson's nephew, Jafar Jackson, in character as Michael himself. Sporting a curly black wig and sporting some facial prosthetics, Jafar is honestly the spitting image of his uncle. The 27-year-old son of Jermaine Jackson was wearing a white vest top, matching shirt, and black trousers as he belted out a track while performing on stage for the film. Starring alongside Jafar will be Coleman Domingo, age 54, who stars as Mr. in The Color Purple. He will be tackling the role of the patriarch, Joe Jackson, who died back in 2018, while Nia Long, 53, will play Jackson's mother, Katherine Jackson. The biographical musical drama is going to follow the life and four-decade career of Michael, who was one of eight Jackson children, five of which comprise the original pop sensation, The Jackson Five. Now, according to Lionsgate, the film's going to delve into all aspects of Michael's life, although it's unknown right now how or if the more, you know, scandalous controversies of his life, including the allegations of the child sexual abuse, is going to be addressed, you know, considering that the biopic is being made in conjunction with the singer's estate. So we don't know how deep that's going to go. After production for the film was delayed this past year due to 2023, the SAG after strike, the main photography is was now set to begin back on January the 22nd. Bohemian Rhapsody's Graham King is among the producers working on this project that also includes John Branca and John McClain, who are the co-executors of the Michael Jackson estate. The Billie Jean singer passed away from an accidental overdose of prescription medication back in 2009 at the age of 50. So the young actor and singer Jafar Jackson posted a black and white photo of himself dressed as the late superstar back on January the 19th, writing, the journey starts Monday, referring back to that January 22nd start date. 
He also wrote on Instagram on January 30th, 2023, that I am humbled and honored to bring my uncle Michael's story to life. To all of the fans all over the world, I will see you soon. So I'll admit, I took the bait and I went and checked out the pictures. Dude, he looks good. I mean, okay, I get it. It's prosthetics and it's hair but you've there, there's got to be some sort of basic component that's going to tie it all together I mean it's really okay maybe I don't know this but to me it would be really hard to take somebody who looks nothing like an individual and make them look like that individual there's got to be some sort of component that's going to be there and of course he's blood relative so there's the genetics are there and if he can perfect the moves this will be a great performance I'm thinking back to Bohemian Rhapsody and we had Rami Malek up on stage as Freddie Mercury and Freddie's sister even came on set and made the comment that Rami Malek had like mimicked the movements of Freddie Mercury so well that for a moment she forgot it wasn't her brother and it kind of shook her he studied the movements he had the look down he had the movements down and it was just it was such a great representation so if michael's nephew can do something similar this is going to be epic now i mean there are images on his personal instagram showing him in the dance studio actively working so and apparently (laughs) this is pretty cool he's already apparently perfected that move you know the one where michael goes up on his toes he kind of you know has his legs bent but he's up on his toes Jafar's already worked on this and he's already got it. So really going to be curious how far they delve, how well the nephew can perform. Are they going to let him sing or is it going to be dubbed over with Michael's voice? Uh, they, they did that. Um, they've done that for several movies. And if the, the actor can do it well, I don't see a problem with the dub, dubbing. Um, Raven and I actually just watched Weird last week, which was the Weird Al Yankovic biopic uh, parody, as, as it turns out. I didn't know too much about it, but I wanted to see it because I like Weird Al. And you see Daniel Radcliffe up there, and he he starts, quote, singing. And you realize, oh, that's actually Weird Al doing it. And it was so weird, but it worked. So if Jafar can pull it off, dub him, make it sound good. And this will be a really epic movie. All right. Enough of all that. Let's go ahead and let's go check out some odd news. And now for something different. So let's get a little realistic here. Uh, Being on a passenger plane as of late is kind of getting a little iffy, I guess you could say. I mean, we've got stories about doors and other parts coming loose or just even coming off completely. But, y'all, all right. So the first story I got for you today, it's a wee bit gross. I would almost want the snakes on the plane. I didn't get that. An hour into a Delta flight from Amsterdam to Detroit, the plane had to turn around after maggots 
reportedly fell from an overhead cabin onto the economy passengers. It's at least worth going business at this point. Delta flight DL-133 returned to Schiffel back on the 13th of February after a suitcase containing rotten fish in the overhead bin broke open. The maggots began to fall on the unsuspecting passengers. How did that happen? How did they get through? Okay, continuing. So once the airplane landed, the passengers exited. The peasants exited. The passengers exited. The cabin had to be deep cleaned, and the suitcase involved was put into a bag to be incinerated. Well, one of the flight's passengers talked to the Daily Mail and said that Delta staff identified the owner of the rotting suitcase and detained them on the plane after all the other passengers disembarked. Now, the passenger speaking to the Daily Mail, named Kelsey, not related, they said that those that were inconvenienced were given 8,000 air miles, hotel room compensation, and a $30 meal ticket if they were delayed overnight from continuing their travels. It's unclear if the suitcase owner was fined or if any action was taken against them. The passenger said that they heard the fish was wrapped in newspaper. Now, a Delta Airlines statement to Fox Business read, We apologize to the customers of Flight 133 as their trip was interrupted due to an improperly packed carry-on bag. The aircraft returned to the gate and passengers were placed on the next available flight. The aircraft was removed from service for cleaning. I should hope so. The airline's website does say edible perishable items are allowed on board as part of your carry-on baggage, provided there is no violation of agricultural restrictions for the destination country. And then adds that Delta is not responsible for any perishable item that spoils or goes bad while in transit. Okay, I get that, but there should be limits. Okay, raw fish or meat. That should be an absolute no-no. I understand that's not necessarily agricultural, but holy crap, I would have thrown up. I can almost guarantee it. That should not have been allowed. How in the world, you know, we can't even carry bigger bottles of shampoo and other liquids, but dude can wrap a fish and newspaper and put it in a carry-on. Oh, God. All right. Well, the next story I've got, this one is just, it's pathetically sad and really weird. So... There's a dude who cut down a Jackie Robinson statue for scrap metal. And then when he tried to melt it down in a trash can so nobody could recognize it, he just ended up ruining the thing and didn't get anything from it. Yeah. Surveillance footage showed three different individuals at the scene when the statue was cut down, though only one man, 45-year-old Ricky Aldorete, has been arrested in connection with the theft. The statue was discovered missing from McAdams Park in Wichita, Kansas, back on January the 25th, with Robinson's feet the only part that remained. They cut him off at the ankles, y'all. Pieces of the statue were found days later on January the 30th in a burning trash can in Garvey Park. And this, according to authorities, he's been charged, Alderete has been charged by the Sedgwick County District Attorney with felony theft, aggravated criminal damage to property identity theft and making false information according to the police department there's some parts of that story missing well the statue was built by artist john parsons and was installed back in 2021 this is relatively recent and it was donated to the community by league 42 which is a nonprofit 
named after Robinson's number with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and it aims to introduce baseball to the youth of Wichita. The damage was estimated by city officials to be around $75,000. That makes me want to cry. There's no crying in baseball! Doesn't change it. Still kind of want to cry. All right, so the price of bronze, let's do a little bit of math. The price of bronze is about $2.40 a pound right now. So let's just assume that statue weighed about 200 pounds. I mean, it was pretty big, almost life-size. Doing that, that's almost $480, which is enough, don't ask me how I know this, enough to buy 3.5 grams of crack, which is barely worth a day of the stuff, especially if you spit it, lit it three ways. Yeah. So apparently that's what um, Mr. Alderete decided they were going to use the money for. Yeah, it was literally, they were trying to get scrap metal to buy drugs. Go figure. All right, silver lining though, there was a GoFundMe page that was set up for the statue's replacement. They raised over $194,000 in just a couple of days. They've already closed out the GoFundMe because they're like, we got enough, but awesome sauce. The community is probably going to be looking at using the extra funds for some improvements to the baseball complex as a result of this crime, which is actually kind of cool. Hoping they get a new statue soon. Still can't believe anybody would want to steal a Jackie Robinson statue just for scrap metal. That just, I don't know, that just blows my mind. That's on the same level of the people that, this was years ago, people that were going into churches and stealing copper for the same thing. They were stealing, like, air conditioning units, drain pipes, you name it. If they could strip it off the building, they were going for it. And there were so many thefts. It was insanity for people just to get the money. I don't know. All right. So it's about that time of year. We kind of need a break. I mean, look, we made it through Halloween and Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and now Valentine's Day. We've got St. Patrick's Day coming up, and then there's Easter and Memorial Day, and it goes on and on and on. We kind of need a break. But apparently, humans are not the only creatures that may want a vacation. Visitors in Colorado High Country witnessed several moose sightings over the weekend. There was one that was spotted along Bertald Pass, which caused a bit of a traffic jam. But another one hit the slopes at Winter Park. Yep, it was on the ski slopes. Colorado Parks and Wildlife told local news that it was unclear if it was the same moose, but they did admit these sightings are not rare. So it's important to know how to react. Jen Miller, who's a spokesperson with Winter Park Resort, said the sighting of a moose near one of the lifts wasn't the first, and it's likely not going to be the last, but when it happens, they are prepared. They alert the ski patrol, then they monitor the trail, they monitor the lift, and they will close it down to protect both people and the animals, and will let the animals wander off on their own. You know, but maybe this is just something to think about. Maybe the moose actually just wants to hit the slopes. You know, he's watching the humans this whole time. Maybe he really wants to go skiing. Who are we to stop? Because I'm not getting in the middle of that. Another local spokesperson said, if you see a moose and you have the ability to snap a photo from a distance, that's great. But if you don't, again, your safety is not worth a viral photo. In both of the sightings reported, there were no reports of any injuries. Moose and maggots, a strike at Ubisoft. We had streakers at the Super Bowl. Some grand old Opry drama. A Michael Jackson film is in the works. We had a record-breaking Super Bowl viewership and more. 
still creeped out by those maggots though i'll be honest <laughs> well thank you guys so so much for joining me today i would like to remind you i include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what i see and more also don't forget to drop us a comment or send us an email if you find a story you want us to cover join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment news remember my friends stay comfy in the starter zone this is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. You have been listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.